Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, the weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene, sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. This Week in Craft Beer publishes the UK's leading craft beer newsletter every Monday morning by email. To subscribe for free, please visit www.thisweekincraft.beer. This Week in Craft Beer would like to thank our generous Patreon supporters, John Stevens, Angela Peterson, Nick Flynn, Jamie Ramsey, Sue Johnson, Steve Hartley, Jazz Hundell, Phantom Brewing Company, Dolphin Brewery, Becky Bentley-White, Bayonet Brewing Co., Ryan Charlton, The Paper Mill Micropub, Doug Thayer, Sarah Allmark, The Sociable Beer Company, and The Small Batch Brewing Co., I'm absolutely delighted to welcome to the podcast this evening, Johnny and James from Holy Goat Brewing based in Dundee. Holy Goat was formed in Dundee in the summer of 2020 to specialise in the production of mixed fermentation and wood-aged beers. Inspired by traditional mixed fermentation beer styles, they seek to pay homage to their brewing forebears using new techniques, fermentation styles and the highest quality ingredients to produce complex, interesting and most importantly, tasty beer. Gents, please introduce yourselves and tell us about your beer journeys, which led you to launching Holy Goat. Hi, I'm Johnny. I started my beer journey, I guess, when I was about 14 and I tried to ferment some apple juice I got from Tesco's and I went to the bakery around the corner and asked them for some yeast. And I put it in a Tupperware container in uh, my mum's airing cupboard. Good plan, uh, yeah. <laughs> it didn't work very well. It ended up smelling like eggs, like sulphur. <laughs> Uh, so I got binned, but um, I think it encouraged my family to get me a homebrew kit. So I think I was well ahead of the uh, legal drinking age, done a couple of homebrews. Just your sort of like basic kit, star ones. But uh, yeah, I was always interested in fermentation. And I think, uh, I mean, as I went through uh, university, I did a little bit more homebrewing and I started making some weird things with foraged ingredients and some wines, meads. Um, and then I think it was sort of when I was doing my higher education in Edinburgh, do, started doing a PhD in archaeology. And the two very much of, of brewing beer and archaeology were crossing over. And I, I sort of managed to write a, a piece on these Iron Age drinking vessels that I really fell in love with. Nice. Um, I was just looking into what brewing practices might have looked like in prehistory. Mm. During this time, I managed to get a part-time job brewing at a place called the Hanging Bat in Edinburgh. Yes, the and legendary uh, Hanging Bat. Yeah, and they've got a 50-litre pilot kit in there, mm. and everything you brew just goes straight up on the bar. So for me, I've all, I was always quite an experimental home brewer. It was the perfect situation where I could experiment, somebody else paid the bills, worried about selling the beer. So I was just brewing every week there, all, lots of various random things and eventually uh, it dawned on me that I uh, needed to focus on brewing as a career rather than archaeology because I was feeling more passionate about the brewing side of things and I was making beers that people were really enjoying and I could see a path forward with that. So uh, I met Steve at the Hanging Bat, we were introduced by one of the bar managers there and we got chatting about it and he had the same interest as I did in starting a brewery. So we subsequently started Vault City and brewing in his uh, house for a while, two to 400 litre batches. And then we worked out a situation where we could brew at 71 Brewing in Dundee, mm. which we'd brew on their kit, but then transfer the beer into a separate warehouse. So we didn't put any of their beers at risk from our any of the cultures we were using. Right. And... I think at a certain point, then I realized that it wasn't really going in the direction I wanted. I'd always have these dreams about particular style, like certain beers I wanted to make. And I just didn't see a space for that happening at Vault City. So pretty much towards the start of the first lockdown, when everything was kicking off, was when it really was just like, okay, it's going to have to happen. I'm not happy in this situation. And... I need to move on and do something else. Let me just bring James into the conversation there because I'm feeling a bit, uh, you must be feeling a little bit left out sitting there, James, while John and I are uh, rambling on. uh, So let's have your introduction, James. And then I just want to revisit the Vault City moment just for a second, Johnny, because I've got some some thoughts on that as well. But uh, yeah, James, you could introduce yourself, please. Yeah, sure. My name's James and my journey to where I am at the moment is remarkably different to Johnny's. I didn't, ferment anything odd when I was 14 
Uh, <laughs> no, no, uh, I have dabbled a little bit in trying to like do homebrew stuff from little kind of can kits through to trying some old grain stuff. Okay. The most I kind of tried when I was at uni, I had a, a 40 litre homebrew kit. I was doing things with my friend with, but uh, it was quite often the technical side of it that I enjoyed more than anything else. Like, right. Kind of augment the kit, build things on it, kind of make it yep. more. Uh, I'm just kind of that kind of way inclined. Even okay. my coffee machine is an absolute nightmare because I've added temperature sensors and gone all to it. <laughs> just the way I am a wee bit. I've played around with fermentation quite a bit with other things, like I've made sauerkraut quite a bit and tapache and things like that. So I have played right. around with fermentation, but not to the same degree that obviously Johnny has done with brewing. and, and Very few of us have, I think it's fair yeah. to say. Yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my background is uh, very, very different. I was uh, working in basically technology-mediated art and design for okay. about eight, 18 years. Mm-hmm. I've mainly worked in games and did projects for the BBC. All right. And I had a games company for about two or three years. So nice. um, towards, well, I was doing the last, the very last thing I was doing before things changed quite dramatically. I was doing a PhD with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra to do okay. with basically utilising technology to augment performance, but still right. maintain some of the original kind of character of it and the kind of right. artistic quality of it. But um, I met Johnny in January of 2020 mm-hmm. and met him as he had the desire to move on from Vault City. So I kind of got speaking to him um, and we became quite good pals. And it just made sense. The more he was trying to get all they got off the ground, it was obvious yep. that there was I had quite a lot of complimentary things that would help right. um, in terms of like, let's say I'm very technology minded. I'm good at right. fixing and building things. So it felt like we complement each other quite well. And having right. been an operations director of a company before, I had some experience in the kind of business side as well, which was right. useful. Vital, I would say, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but that's kind of where I came from in that background to where I am now, for sure. Brilliant. Just a few more quick words on Vault City then, John. It, it strikes me that you were, to some extent, you were a victim of the success of the business model that you devised there. And, and I know you've, I've seen you sort of talk about it on your blog and elsewhere, that you devised a way of producing a very drinkable base sour beer very quickly and then with, with endless permutations that you can then fruit it with and and, and add various different hops and, and other products as flavour components, I suppose. And can you just expand a little bit on, on how you felt boxed in by that a bit, I guess? Yeah. I guess the best way to put it is that um, linking it back to when I was brewing at the Hanging Bat, I would be making beers using these different mixed cultures, pretty much every beer I was brewing. And I've found some that worked really well and some that I didn't like. So I was able to sort of pick and choose. And one of the ones that worked really well was this one that we ended up using for Vault City. It's right. a very, it's originally a Lithuanian farmhouse blend I got from a home brewer in just a little vial. Um, <laughs> in the post and used that and had amazing results it was really citrusy forward really Mm. zesty just very quite clean as well in some ways very easy drinking and importantly as well had quite a quick turnaround time on it so you could ferment a beer out fully in under two weeks wow so then i think when we started vault city my most popular beers at the hanging bat were some of the beers where i'd use this blend of yeast and bacteria or something similar and then fruit it yep. and this was i think probably when heavily fruited sour beers were were still something that was just like not seen quite as much as they are now sure. yeah so um it made a lot of sense to focus on some of those i mean we literally looked at like my hanging bat untapped and, and looked at what are the most popular bits <laughs> why wouldn't he i mean what a great testing ground to, to be able to refer yeah. back to yeah and, and there was these ideas to do, you know, saisons and, and more mm. farmhousey sort of beers. But I think as we went onwards and they sort of fell to the wayside a little bit. Mm. And whereas this is a bit more tried and tested, culture took over uh, and it was a bit more difficult to get move away from. I right. mean, if you've got a two week turnaround beer, and then suddenly you're talking about doing a beer that takes three months to turn around. It's just- <laughs> You need, yeah. you need a whole new spreadsheet for that, don't you, to, to exactly. figure, figure out the, the, fund, the funding and the, yeah. and the it, profitability and it, of it, yeah. It, it did require a whole new spreadsheet, 
That's uh, <laughs> holy ghost. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> but I've got massive respect for, for you making that decision because I'm sure that, you know, there'll be people listening to this podcast and think, uh, are sort of shaking their heads wondering how you could possibly walk away from a massive success story like Vault City. But having said that, you're obviously doing what you love doing and, and you've made such a great start with, with Holy Goat that I think it completely justifies that journey you're on. So, yeah, I, I just, just think it's it's brilliant that, you, that you've done that and now you've got literally no limits, I guess, to, to what you can do. And, and well, you still got to make some money at the end of the day, but you're working within your own framework, aren't you? Yeah, 100%. I think as well, just when I was first putting together the ideas, like uh, the way Scan came into it, James, sorry, Scan's nickname. Yes, right, sorry. <laughs> was just really natural and we were just sort of chatting ideas i was chatting ideas with him just as a mate and then it became quite clear that uh, actually it would be really good to work with scan so we just sort of agreed at one point actually you know what let's do this he was up for it i was up for it let's make it happen and i think we make a good team because he's got a lot of the uh, operational knowledge from having businesses before and a lot right. of technical knowledge for nice making shit work you know a lot of a lot of the time i'm just like all right we, this is our problem and then it's weird scan sort of like trying to figure out how we can fix it and uh that is especially for uh, i guess one of the things to know about this is that we're a very sort of like diy brewery right we've done like a lot of the equipment we're using is reused repurposed mm-hmm. secondhand brewery equipment yeah we've done everything as cheaply as possible because we haven't had much money to start off with no. it's been necessity and having a team initially me and scan just able to sort of like figure things out and work out the cheapest easiest ways of doing things and reusing what equipment we had was essential to getting things going fantastic extensive diy <laughs> you've got, you got to be a plumber and an electrician yeah and you're, very awesome. minimum and um, there was a lot i will say as well there was a lot of um useful knowledge that we gained from existing breweries that had like new bands is a really good example the nice. amount of insight we got from them about where to spend money and where you could feasibly build things to yeah. uh, kind of get going was really really helpful it was good to kind of visit their brewery and kind of get an idea of what to do uh, nice. uh, yeah. on a short and long scale it's really good definitely fantastic no and that, this is a common story that i hear to be honest with you how, how generous people are with their time and their advice and, yeah you know sharing their experiences it just it elevates everybody doesn't it to yeah yeah absolutely pass that on so no, no, that, that's one of the wonderful things about this industry i have to talk about this first beer now before i finished it because i'm drinking this so quickly i'm starting to think i might have a hole in the bottom of my glass this is so delicious it's going down so smoothly this is your Citrus Crusher Winter Harvest. A 6.2% golden sour with blood oranges and clementines. I've got the tasting notes here, which are quite lengthy. It says, we brewed this golden sour with a heritage malt called Scotch Common, grown and malted by crafty maltsters, and I'm <laughs> not sure about this pronunciation here, in Octomukchi, in Fife. I'm sure I'm not saying that. It's as, as... <laughs> reasonable. I'll give you a pass. Thank you. All right, then. <laughs> Fermented with a mixed culture and aged for around three months before being transferred onto 250 litres of blood orange and clementine juice with an additional 50 kilos of whole fruit, which was zested, pulped and juiced by hand. And then it says at the bottom, drink young or age, this will get weirder. And that's your, t- I think that's your tagline pretty much goes at the end of the taste yeah. notes for every beer, which I also love. Um, this might be the most drinkable sour beer I've ever drunk. I, I love sours, but this, I don't know what it is about this, but it's just going down so quickly. It's just everything that you could hope for. The citrus flavors are, are really punchy. This is only moderately tart, I would say. It could you know, certainly not as tart as, as some of your beers, but absolutely wonderful. Um, it's the perfect first beer of the evening. Um, doesn't taste like 6.2%. You know, you could drink this quite happily for breakfast, I'm sure. And I don't don't doubt that people do. But just a lovely, lovely beer. It's the sec is it the second iteration on your citrus crusher? Um, yes, it is. Yeah. So yeah, tell us about the journey with, with this one, guys. Okay. So I'm a massive citrus lover. Okay. Um and I think I guess I'll start at the beginning of what this beer has been through. So as I said, we used a Scotch common heritage malt variety, mm-hmm. which is basically not been used for a couple of hundred years and we have good ties with our maltster who does small batches of interesting different like heritage varieties so we got this malt variety and we noticed it was very different tasting to to how our typical malt is 
and also way different in in how it how you actually use it like right. mash runoff was so easy because it okay. had more like husk material in there nice I mean, so, I've heard it said, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Johnny, about other sort of heritage malts. I, I know there's, there's a number of different her- uh, maltsters in the UK, aren't there, producing different heritage variations now. And, and you know, I've heard it said that, you know, there's a reason why these heritage malt styles often died out is because they're either really difficult to grow or really difficult to brew with when, they, when you've grown them. And so, you know, refreshing to hear that yeah. that's not the case with this one, at least. <laughs> well, not 100%, because the price was higher because it took pretty much twice the amount of land to produce it like per weight okay yeah produce that amount of grain so it's not the most efficient but it (laughs) is really interesting and i think it's it's important to like try these out because you'll find some that have particular characteristics are actually very valuable yeah absolutely yeah so um the base beer was was using that malt and uh we fermented it with we do most of our beers have a primary fermentation with um isolated Britannomyces. Right. So we we just want Britannomyces to do all the work to put as much flavor into that beer as possible. And the strains we used in this one were was a bit of a blend, but they're quite citrus forward, quite tropical, uh, a little bit apricotty. Right. And then we uh, also use a, a lactobacillus strain we cultured ourselves that's um, also got a little bit of that tropical sort of citrus character to it and then gave it about three months in tank and then transferred it onto the juice and then we um, so we got in yeah it was around 50 kilos of fruit from organic producers uh, we've been using it's pretty tricky when you want to find really sort of like artisanal organic producers in in the middle of nowhere in Italy. Right. Um, so luckily, we found that there's a really good place that you can actually see what everyone's doing and order direct, which is called crowd farming, mm-hmm. and it comes with like notes from the from the producer who tell oh, you brilliant. about themselves and and have the struggles they're going through. Nice. You sort of just you know. You feel like I could be paying the same amount of money for fruit or maybe slightly less from an unknown source. But right. I'm getting something organic grown by families and we're supporting them directly. And Fabulous, uh, yeah. So on that's nice. And also you just, you know, you're getting the really good quality. The fruit come in and we are just eating citrus for days because it's one of the best things i love citrus harvest time because uh, we get all the fruit in for the beer and i just get to like gorge myself on fruit. <laughs> so, uh, so when the citrus came in we the, the, basically the next the day after it comes in we get out the uh the power drill which we got a special um pronged fork thing that hands uh, made and um <clears throat> you stab that into the fruit and then you put them up against the microplane to zest yeah. them brilliant <laughs> and we run them through a juicer and uh the brewery smells pretty amazing yeah i bet it does yeah and uh then everything goes into the beer we even take the the halves of the fruit that have been juiced they're just the husks of the fruit yep. we'll chuck those in the beer as well great uh, we'll put everything in muslin bags and basically use those husks of the fruit to weigh down the zest and the everything else right in. yeah so yeah it's just basically a lot of whole fruit goes into the beer mm-hmm. um, and so you that, said it, it was the the base beer was aged for three months and then how long's the fruiting process with this then uh we add the fruit probably about two weeks okay um mm-hmm. you don't need any longer than that really right you, you can but i don't feel like you get a huge amount you can start getting like a pithiness right a more intense pithy bitterness if you add it for longer sort of over extracts a bit but yeah two weeks seems absolutely fine for it and you lock in all that of like fragrance mm. um so when we we add that fruit we seal up the tank so that any refermentation of those sugars stays locked in the tank and right. we'll be with this batch we uh allowed we spunded it so that that's basically you allow the carbonation from fermentation to carbonate the beer and then you, you package it already carbonated Mm-hmm. Nice. So um, yeah, 
so this the CO2 effectively used to carbonate this beer already has all the aroma from the, the fruit. Yeah. So you sort of lock it in a bit mm. more than, than otherwise. Wow. Brilliant. It's a great beer. Yeah, I can't praise this too highly. It's, I think it's absolutely Thank delicious. You. Let's talk a bit about your setup then in Dundee. Um, so how, how big is your space? You know, what's the capacity of your brew kit? It's um, modest. <laughs> uh, but we have a thousand litre brew kit that we right. use. And we've, in the last few months, we've been able to upgrade our, from mentor space a little bit. We were originally using two 1,000 litre fermenters and a, a few odd bods here and there that made up there was a couple of 600s yeah three 400s so but kind of random a little bit but we were able to get two 2000 liter uh, cylinder conical fermenters which has nice. helped a lot in terms mm-hmm. of packaging and consistency yeah. when we're kind of doing our brews so it's quite small we've kind of maxed out the space we've been able to put racking in which has helped a hell of a lot but yeah, it's a quite a small setup, uh, but 1,000 litres is kind of good if you've got 2,000 litre fermenters as well. You can yeah. do multiple brews in that if you want to. And so you can, considering the, the length of production time on some of your beers, so how many how many beers are you able to sort of have on the go at various stages at one time? Uh, well, because we blend a lot as well, and I suppose the barrels kind of come into this as well because yeah. we have got quite a bit of barrel stock. There's, there is quite a lot to keep track of. I would say, well, Johnny, you're probably better at to answer this part. I would say there's probably about four or five on the go at any one time that can be blended in some way, given what the base beer was when we started. Yeah, I mean, it's a number that keeps changing. So we keep adding in yeah. tanks, if you'll call them that. We, we're doing, we're maximising our space in some ways by filling IBCs with ageing stock and also right. adding back. So, but I would say we've got maybe... 12 to 14 fermenters where we've got aging beer that we can blend in at any yeah, one nice. point. Yeah. But those might be two batches blended into the one because we've got most of those vessels are a thousand liters where we've got 2000 liter conical fermenters. So we can blend two of those batches together. Right. Uh, and then got a little bit of room for fruit and then we're good to go. But just one thing I wanted to mention is that our, Brewing kit has quite a lot of uh, heritage to it. Okay. Because we've, uh, it's all come, as I said before, we're quite DIY. We managed to beg, borrow our steel kit. It's all come from different places. Our brew house originally was from the Earl of Essex, mm. which is a brew, well, it used to be a brew pub in London, is a pub in London. Cool. Um, adds uh, this, this thousand litre kit and these three, 400 litre fermenters. Mm-hmm. And then two of our 1,000 litre tanks used to be at the Colonel. Right. Uh, so, and basically, uh, New Barns was a big help in sort of uh, lending us kit effectively. Where nice. we've got kit on loan from them, and then we've our two conical fermenters used to be at Fierce. Oh, brilliant! And, yeah, uh, yeah. And we've got an old uh, packaging line that used to be at seventy uh, one oh. for them Cromarty. Yeah, right. Cromarty had it. Yeah, yeah. So, that's your bottling line. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Brilliant. <laughs> so we've got bits of equipment from all over the place but nice. um it's interesting for me at least yeah same it's, it's interesting see where it all came from and to hear people telling you about the crux of the kit as well yeah it's yeah. been funny to hear little stories about what works and what doesn't and for what reason so, so what would a, a bottling run be then for a, a typical beer release i mean obviously they're not you're not going to put the same volume out of each beer but you know so, yeah. so this one we're drinking here for example how many how many three seven fives would that battery produced we did 150 odd cases, which is quick math. I'm definitely using my brain here. 1800 bottles. 1800 right? bottles. <laughs> so nice. that's typical for us. 1800 yeah. is yeah. about as much as we have the willpower to do on our old pack on the packaging line we have yeah. because it yeah. is slow and not fun. Mm-hmm. That does represent quite an increase, to be fair as well, though, because um, our initial brews that we did when we our first like releases were all in the kind of fifty to sixty case region, so we've been able to increase production quite a bit, uh, given like the new fermenters and whatnot, and that's mm-hmm. something we obviously want to look at as much as we can going forward, increasing production, like, like Johnny said, in as sane way as possible, because the uh, bottling line is uh, not the easiest to run for any great length of time. No. So. So in terms of floor space, have you got room for more 
tanks and fermenters, or it's, or are you maxed out now? Yeah, it's tight. We um, well, a little bit of movement. We can maybe get another twenty heck in, but we'd be losing some other things. So it might be what's worth sacrificing to kind of get something larger in. We've also thought about putting some sort of uh, larger fermenter outside because we've got a decent yard space. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there are options there for sure, but, uh, but yeah, internally we are uh, very, very tight for space now. Right. Yeah. It's become kind of modular as well because everything's kind of palleted. We're able to kind of repurpose the space given which part of the process we're in. So okay. when it's a packaging phase, there's much more boxes that take up the whole floor. Yeah. Then once everything's been sent away, everything gets kind of moved around again to kind of make brewing easier and whatnot. So it's exactly. a lot of Lego a little bit, but um, <laughs> we make it work. That's the best way to put it. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so, I mean, naturally, my next question after talking about your brewery size and space is, is whether there's any plans for any kind of tap room or retail outlet at all. Is that doesn't sound as though it's, it's practical in your brewery situation, but is that part of the thought process or not so much? Certainly something we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's possible in the current space we've got, even just in terms of getting the licensing sorted. It's something that we're looking at, though. And, right. Um, if, and likewise, if we find a good space in Dundee, then we might just go with that instead. Just grab a storefront somewhere, yeah. have our production yeah. facility as just purely production. Nice. Uh, so we'll just I'm- see how it goes i mean going back to your hanging back experience and being able to sort of you know inflict whatever this week's uh, marvelous concoction is straight onto the drinking public is a, is a fantastic opportunity isn't it to sort of test and yeah. fine tune and <laughs> see I'd the smiles on people's to, faces <laughs> yeah i'd love to be able to do like weird little one-off kegs again well to be fair we do do that occasionally right. but, uh, yeah and just super mad ideas um, honey bucket one was good yeah we did uh, a beer with elderflower and uh, honey, okay. blossom honey, and uh, we did one keg because I found a, a pink elderflower tree, oh. and I didn't even know they existed to be honest. And then no. so I, I picked it, and then we put it into one keg. And then well, I've usually got through. usually got some pink. At least I've got a couple of elder, elderflower trees in my drive at home, and there's a couple that you, you get some pink flowers on them, but they're mostly mm. white, yeah. aren't they? So, so it's yeah. usually just sort of flecked with pink a bit. But this was all pink, was it? Yeah, yeah. Wow, all pink. Yeah. Huh. Our plan for this year is is find a lot of those trees so we can do a <laughs> full batch of pink honey bucket. Nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, you might have your work cut out there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, well, so we reckon that there's a bit quite close to the brewery. There's the guy that has a, a garage across the road, seems to think there's lots of it where he lives. So we'd have to check okay. the veracity oh, of that, you know, the time. But uh, be great if we could because it was really interesting and tasty what we got out of it. Brilliant. And foraging is a is a sort of big part of your plans generally, is it? Um, Johnny? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, we're quite a seasonal brewery. Mm-hmm. I think it just gives you so many options and ideas for beers when you think about like what's fresh now yep. what ingredients do we love that are coming out and elderflower is absolutely one of them um, yep. always has been and yeah i think it's just it's a really nice like when we do the yearly plan of what beers we're going to put out it's based around okay well, when's when's the fruit season yeah when's, when's the blackberry beer? season when yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah. yeah. so sort of basing it around that and then I guess the tricky part of it is well, what do we do at this, sort of this time when there is no, well, there is the odd bit of fruit like the citrus, but yeah. a lot of fruit isn't, isn't going to be out for no, no. three or four months. So at the moment we're focusing a little bit on um, tropical ingredients. Right. So, and obviously that means working with puree instead of whole fruit, but the experience I've had you can get really good results with it. So absolutely, I'm, yeah. I'm, and I'm enjoying working with like uh, ingredients that you know are not so common. Yeah, and that work really well in some of the flavors we already get from our base beer. So uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's obviously it's great to use whole fruit, and if you can do that, and you know, actually process enough of it to, to get the flavors you want that's brilliant but i think yeah. it's all you know I, I, I think it's a mistake for people to say oh no puree is you know, not proper fruit that's nonsense i mean it is you know the, the, the flavors and everything are, are all still there aren't they and it's it's I feel yeah. much easier to work with from a brewing perspective so you know i don't see yeah. how anybody should apologize for 
for using the wonderful flavors you can get from pureed fruit i think that's nonsense but yeah no totally but everybody can make their own choices about that can't they um let's take a short break gents This Week in Craft Beer is sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. Them That Can deliver the machinery, labour, materials and most importantly the expertise to achieve a professionally canned product that keeps their clients happy. For more information about how you can get started with their amazing services, please visit www.themthatcan.com. So I'm back with Johnny and James from Holy Goat for the second half of the show. Gents, let's have the usual open to the second half and have you tell me what makes you different. What are you doing at Holy Goat to stand out in the UK or Scottish craft beer scene? Probably, I mean, if you talk, look at our fermentation, the way we ferment our beers, I think it's unique. I don't know of any other brewery in the UK who's doing anything that's similar to how we are fermenting our beers. And there are a couple examples of breweries in the US who are doing similar techniques, mm-hmm. focusing their entire brewery around Brettanomyces as the primary fermentation right. uh, microbe. But even then, I would say they're doing things a little bit differently to us. I would also say all our beers are different. And even when we're using very similar Brett cultures, we're often re-pinching, re-culturing it's not going to be exactly the same every time. Right. If we don't want to make the same beer every time. And we use quite a lot of different fruit and ingredients that a lot of other breweries maybe don't use or don't use in the same way. For mm-hmm. example, with our citrus beer, when we hand process all the fruit, there's a lot of breweries who don't have the manpower or willpower to do such no. <laughs> ridiculous things. We've spent full days where it's just, Everyone getting stuck in processing plums, for example. Yeah. That was the one of the most notable examples of yeah. ridiculousness. Um, <laughs> and we were destoning them all by hand, and there was plum juice going everywhere. There were plum juice in eyes. It was fun. <laughs> uh, then, but then it allowed us to do interesting things like we smoked some plums that yeah. went into one of the beers. I think the one um, that I've just opened actually has. Uh... Yeah, yeah. plums in it doesn't it that we'll get to talk about in a minute but uh... I, I would say as well in terms of like differentiation the um the locality kind of aspect of it is i know that terroir is one of those strange words but um it is very much a taste of where we are based we're very up on sourcing malt sourcing or oats sourcing of fruit as much as feasibly possible within yes. a very short radius well that's right I, have... I i didn't realize until i spoke to duncan at 71 on this podcast a couple of weeks ago how what a great fruit growing area yeah, that, that, that so. i didn't didn't realize that at all so that's brilliant that you've got access yeah, so, to, to all that local produce. yeah so we t- try and showcase that as much as possible and it's something that's it's so kind of intrinsic to this area that it's nice to be from this area and showcase mm-hmm. what this area is about in terms of its local produce. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I didn't realise either until I got more into the brewing side of things and using fruit is that Scotland, especially this part of Scotland, is mm-hmm. soft fruit, aka berry fruit. It's like the centre of the UK for that. Yeah. And it's like, it's a huge part of the industry here. So like <clears throat> working with local ingredients, it's like we've got them on our doorstep. Of course, we're going to do loads of uh, berry fruited beers is yeah. brilliant for us yeah. and the fact the fact that this part of scotland as well has typically been known as the bread basket of the uk because it's where you grow malt and wheat right. and oats so we've got all these ingredients that we need on our doorstep apart from maybe hops we don't have that close we've got to go a bit further south to get them yeah. but um but saying that we do have some scottish hops uh, yeah. that we use for some of our beers so uh, there is a little bit. Nice. Yeah, definitely, as Scan's saying, seasonality and um, local produce. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's very clear that the commitment you have to brewing a, you know, a very interesting range of, of properly sour beers with great depth of flavour. So I think that's you know, that, that goes Ooh. without saying. Um, I mentioned this actually just briefly before we started the second half. I'd also be interested perhaps to, and this is maybe an unfair question, um, I'm going to ask it anyway, is to ask you to compare yourself to the other leading UK brewers of sour and mixed firm beers. And I'm purely thinking in terms of giving 
the audience who maybe haven't tasted a holy goat beer yet some kind of idea where you fit in that sort of spectrum of you know with vault city at, at one end of the, the sweet fruity kind of end of the spectrum and and maybe perhaps i could say Brewdog overworks at the opposite end of the extreme. Is that, is that the other extreme? I'm not sure. I'll, I'll let you define the spectrum and then, and then tell me where you fit on it. Oh, um, I would certainly be happy to just name the peers or the people we look up to in the industry yeah. who we really like their style. Like, for example, Little Earth Project. Yes, absolutely. And I saw that you mentioned Tom in, in your notes on the on the blog and, and yeah. lovely guy and, and great beers there. Yeah. And our beers sometimes have a little bit of a cidery character to them as well, which I mean, the thing I love about Little Earth Project is it's so unique. It's yes. so, like, you can, especially going down there, it really emphasised it and explained why it tasted the way it did. But he's got a, a family tradition of cider making, yep. and he's brewing beers with very much that influence, uh, imparting its character. And it's just wonderful and unique. And we talk uh, about terroir and sort of local yeah. kind of influence, and that's taking it to the extreme, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I guess another brewery who we're good pals with is uh, Pastore. Yes, they've been mm-hmm. doing a couple of the guys who started that would come to the hanging back whilst I was brewing there. Oh right, yes, yeah. so I. I, I, I I met. I've, I had Chris on the podcast and, and actually met yeah. him down in uh, Newton Abbott um, at the last festival last season. Super guy and amazing beers as well. I, I love what they're yeah. doing. Best story. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess we're big fans of um, Mills. What, right. what they're doing. I mean, we're not doing spontaneous fermentation at the moment, but mm-hmm. it's definitely something we're thinking about. But I just love the way that they're doing things. Yeah. Uh, really, sort of like inspiring. Any scan that you think of yeah um i think you've covered most of them i would say like not so much um the things that spring to mind if it's going to be similarities would be more from an aesthetic standpoint yeah mm. uh, rather than the beer itself because there's a like true brewing from denver i would say is right brewery that i would definitely put parallels on in terms of their like um the way they've used their music influences to influence right. their art direction and their kind of how closely they've worked with artists because that's something we've been really passionate about as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, you could easily add uh, Jester King to that. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jester King for sure. One of the breweries that inspired us, you know, Drew and Jester King is is <laughs> is a good couple of US breweries that inspired us. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, brilliant. I, it's an endlessly fascinating subsector of the of the craft beer industry for, for me i think it's just there's there's so much to explore and understand you haven't mentioned any sort of belgian more yeah. belgian oriented influences i was thinking maybe burning sky i don't know um do, do you... yeah burning sky definitely come to mind um we don't get a huge amount of burning sky come up unfortunately but what i've had from them i've always thought was fantastic mm. and then i guess one of the big ones for me was uh has always been alvin um because they're such uh the way they ferment their beers was very unique and sort of inspired what I did with uh, Vault City a little bit. Right. There are similarities there. Mm-hmm. And then the things they'll do, like their smoked fruited sours, right. uh, have inspired a lot. And you'll see some more smoked fruited sours coming from us. Nice. Uh, and also some of the weird things they do, they've done, like they've used like a eucalyptus in a beer before. And it just, when I first tried that, it absolutely blew my mind. <laughs> that's one of the things I've always loved about Belgian beer is it's like whenever beer gets a little bit stale or boring or everyone's making the same thing, and then you look at Belgium and there are some unique breweries making stuff that just is really exciting. And like right. It's so different to anyone else. And I think there's a lot of that that we're trying to put into Holy Goat, like right. trying to make beers that are just really exciting and weird and different and unique. The beer we're having just now is a good example of that, to be fair, because the um, the smoked plums that we did for that, we kind of tried to figure out what would be nice to use as a smoking medium and try to figure out whether it was feasible to do. So we we ended up taking a, a wine barrel apart that we had and using that as the kind of base wood that we smoked the plums with. And it, right. we the ratio we did was maybe a little bit light where there was not as much of the smoke coming through. It's still there a little bit on the nose, but just a hint of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But those little experiments are something that we're both very keen to keep doing for sure. Nice. And it's like, see where we can go with uh, odd ingredients or odd kind of processing methods. Yeah. 
definitely. Well, let's talk about this um, next beer then, Scan. This is Blood Eagle, 6.66% barrel age, <laughs> yeah. Anders Red with plums. Is that, <laughs> a, is that an accident the or a, the beast. Uh, a convenient? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it was it was 6.7%. Yeah, you're allowed to tolerance like a little bit. Down, yeah, yeah. 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 So, oh, so it's man. legally within the boundaries of reality. I'm but, happy with that. Um <laughs> Barrel-aged Flanders Reds with plums. Another extensive set of tasting notes here. It says, a cross between a Flanders Red and a British Stock Ale, brewed with a mixture of crystal, amber, and rye malts. Primary fermentation was undertaken with one of our favourite Britannomyces blends, in addition to our house culture of yeast and bacteria. The beer was then blended 70-30 with a two-year-old amber sour beer aged in rye whiskey barrels. We transferred this blended beer directly onto the lees and the spent fruit, 200 kilos of red currants and black currants from our previous Flanders Red, Blood Incantation, in addition to another 200 kilos of locally harvested whole Victoria plums. A portion of these plums were smoked at the brewery using oak staves from a red wine barrel. The resulting beer is complex and venous with a subtle smoke. And again, drink young or age, this will get weirder. It's, I wouldn't call it weird. I think it's another absolutely wonderful creation. It has got just a, a Venus hint to it, certainly, hasn't it? Yeah. The, the beautiful blend of, of fruit flavours, you know, red currants and black currants, obviously, from the uh, the previous beer, um, you can certainly taste. There is a hint of smoke to it as well, but not not overwhelming at all. I'm a bit <laughs> I'm a bit on the fence with smoked beers. I, I have in the past had some somewhat overwhelming Rauk beer experiences that have kind <laughs> of scarred me for life. I think so. <laughs> I'm oh. not. I, I wouldn't normally lean into a smoked beer too much, but th- there's nothing here to to offend me. It's it's just got a lovely just a. a, a a hint of, of smokiness about it. Lovely depth of flavour. Just another really interesting beer. I don't think, you know, I, I, I highly doubt you guys will ever make a beer which isn't really interesting and doesn't please me. But this, again, just great. Very different from the first one, but equally equally drinkable and, uh, and going down nice and smoothly. Um, you've done other Flanders Red beers, yeah. I think, haven't you? I, I was... Yeah, so we one of the first beers we released, Crimson Queen, was mm. based on our Flanders and uh, Blood Incantation, which was the one this was transferred right. on. Yeah, yeah. I'm in love with that style of beer. Okay. Uh, probably been it, my favourite style of beer ever. Um, okay. I just love the complexity you get from it. It's such an intense style of beer. Yeah. Um, you get sweet and you get sour, savoury. It's just got a bit of everything in there. Yeah, it's the style I've always been a little bit obsessed with and uh, dreamed of focusing on making those beers but it's also probably one of the most difficult styles of beer to get right because okay. you've got to get that sweet and sour balance right and you've right. got to get a touch of acetic right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it typically requires blending to get that right. done well. So you've got to have a lot of different factors at play at the same time to make a beer that is typical for the style or at least sort of similar. Uh, one of the other things I love about it is, is like the history of it. So I, I mentioned in the description, we talk about stock ales. Yeah. Uh, it's referring back to the similarities between Flanders Reds and stock ales when they were being brewed in the 1800s. Right. You'd have this, if you imagine, there was a big circle around the channel. And mm. in that area, people were brewing a lot of these aged red or strong red ales mm. and then leaving them in vats for good amount of time until they often did become sour and venous yep. sometimes just bretty and, and not too sour but there were some studies done that show that often they had a quite a low ph to them okay. mm-hmm. so it's it looks like a, a tradition that is from basically belgium and britain and right. uh, it's one that i'm very much keen to have holy goat as someone who's pushing forward in that nice. again yeah uh, so yeah, really happy that we're making these this style of beer. Yeah, really interesting one, and the style works so well with fruit. Like, if obviously our favourites were like I like Rodenbach and and mm. Duchesse yeah. from Fahaga. A few other examples exist, but those examples clearly like are so amazing with fruit. Like you, you have like a Duchesse with cherries. They do a creek or like the Rodenbach with cherries. It's, it's yeah. a fantastic beer. They take so well to fruit. So we've yeah we've done a few batches uh, so far that have all been fruited and this one focused on using plums, right? Uh, 
We are very lucky that we've got, not only are we in the epicenter of berry growing, but we've also got like a, a local farm who is much smaller and therefore much better for working with a small brewery like ourselves. Right. Where we say, look, we're just after like 100 kilos or 200 kilos of this fruit. And we can lit, we drive there down there, pick, put it in the boot of the car and take it back to the brewery, process it, get it in tank, get it on beer. Um, Perfect. Such a natural way of doing things. It's a good way of making a good relationship with um, like the farmer as well. So that next year we can say to him, look, this is what we're expecting. Are you able to do this for us? He can maybe change the way he's doing things a bit, plant you a bit more f- yeah. fruit. And yeah. I just, we get to hear more about what the issues is that they're having. So like the batch before this blood incantation uses red currants and black currants. The farmer was basically saying to us, look, if you want these red currants, let me know because there are if you don't take them they're going to rot on the bush right and for us that was like uh okay we'll definitely take them and we need to figure out a way to use them yeah yeah yeah. Nice. yeah but it feels good knowing that it's not wasted a crop oh i bet it does yeah absolutely and it's, uh, it's yeah. turned out a wonderful product i want to just quickly talk about your artwork um gents i should have mentioned this on the first beer actually give us the background you know who does your art and what was the, what was the sort of the aesthetic you were going for there um predominantly it's uh an artist that's based in Wales that Johnny had contacted when the brewery first started because mm-hmm. he had uh, liked his artwork and felt like he was a good fit for what Holy Goat was going to end up becoming. Very distinctive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. Jim Bob Isaac is his name. And um, he's done, I would say, probably 95% of all, all our artwork so far. Mm-hmm. Of the two that we're having today, the Bloody Eagle one was done by a different artist called Valerie Vargas, who's okay. a tattooist that's based mm-hmm. in London that I've known for a long time. Yeah. But yeah, basically, Jim Bob has been fantastic. He, he was involved in the designing of the initial logo right through to beers. He's, he's done logos for every batch, basically, or designs for every batch, yep. I should say. He's become a really important part of a, a kind of design aesthetic. Um, oh, Definitely. Yeah. I've done three labels myself just because I've, I've been able to. Oh, great. But, uh, but yeah, for the most part, it makes total sense to have Jim Bob or I kind of like the idea of having guest artists as well as much as possible. I know Johnny's right. into this is kind of showcasing uh, people that can, that are, they, that create art that are, where the art is intrinsic to music as well, where it's yeah. maybe someone that works on albums or mm-hmm. um gig posters that kind of thing so yeah. as much as we can tie it into music yeah uh, that would be fantastic but yeah basically the art for the most part is uh is jim bob who's been fantastic yeah yeah i guess the way we think about it is we're putting so much time and effort into these beers let's put a similar amount of time and effort into presenting them and yes. sometimes when we're actually like up against the wall in terms of time trying to get labels printed we regret that a little bit because mm. it takes a serious amount of time. But when you look at a bottle like these, then and know that the beer tastes good in there as well. Yes, you just yeah, it's all worth it, hundred percent. No, definitely. Um, so, what have you got coming up, release wise? We've got um, so the one you just tried, Citrus Crusher Winter Harvest. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the next of our current release that right. we've just got coming out at the end of this week. So we're just sort of going to drop the beers in the next few days this will probably be out but and they'll be all be out by then but yes uh, uh, that one we've also got another one called sea beast which right. is um a golden sour we fermented with a strain of bretonomyces isolated from a trappist brewery oh. and we use some hot terpenes in that batch okay. so uh, they're basically isolated uh, hop aromatic compounds. Right. And it's something I've been interested in. They're not that well known about, but oh. uh, they can add a, a little bit of like nuance and character. Quite interesting. So we, we sort of used it as a bit of a test to see right. what did we think of it. Yeah. Uh, we just chucked it in uh, over a thousand liters of beer and <laughs> see if it works or not. Nice. But, uh, no, we're happy with that beer. That beer's come out very drinkable. What's very, the ABV of that? That one's 6.8. Okay. Yeah. And then we've got uh, another one which is called uh, Unicorn Wizard. Jim Bob has done a very cool label for. <laughs> um, and I can't wait for you to see that. But yeah, that one is uh, using the same Brett strain from that Trappist brewery I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And then we've re fermented that with a lot of white peach puree. 
Nice. So it really goes well with that uh, mm. character, um, which throws out a lot of peach and apricot sort of character anyway. So just amplifying that with, yeah. with actual peaches. And is that so also bit, in the sort of six or seven percent range? Or that one's yeah. seven point two. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little bit stronger. Nice. Um, and then our final release will be a very small batch one that will be web shop only, and that one's called Riddler Steel. And so that is a steel fermented cold sour. That's probably our oldest aged beer that we've released today. Oh, yeah. So I mean, we're quite a younger brewery, so, but it's it's six months in tank, six months in tank, and then we bottle condition it for three months as well. So it was one of these. Ba- it was in one of the small four hundred liter tanks that we've got, and it was tasting absolutely phenomenal. And we were toying with blending it into one of the other batches mm. to create a bigger batch. But then, you know what? Actually, let's just package some of this on its own. Stands alone, let- yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and- we've tried to do that quite a few times. Because we're exploring the kind of yeast characters mm. of, of the different breadstones we've had so much, it makes sense, much as feasible, that even our, in our first release, Coat Wizard was exactly the same idea, where we had a very particular strain of bread that had these kind of nice tropical flavours we wanted right. to show off. So we've done this a few times now and it makes sense to kind of try and do that as we go along. Every time there's a, a strain that has a particular character that you like, what? instead of either blending it over the overlay or adding in fruit, we'll just uh, release it as a standalone beer to see what people yeah. make of it. Brilliant. And it's also going to be an interesting release because we'll be doing more versions of it. We've got a few different small barrels that we've also put this beer into and we've fruited those barrels so there should be some more of these quite interesting variations of this uh, beer coming out over the year so i think that's one of the things we're looking to do more we're looking to do more small batch releases right barrel age releases and yeah weird stuff that will be popping out over the year (laughs) as well as i guess something we've not really touched on at all is we're also doing clean beers. So as you were talking with 71 the other week, yep. uh, we've actually got quite a close relationship with them. I mean, I used yep. to work there as a brewer for mm. us for some time. So I know I'm very well acquainted with the the kit and the and the people, people, the folks. And we really enjoy other styles of beer apart from mm. sour beers. Yep. So so far we've done a few different Imperial stouts. Yes. And we've brewed those at 71 partly because we don't have the space and partly because we don't want the beers to get infected with the breath that we no, have of course. on yeah, site yeah. unless we intentionally do it which we are doing as well so yeah. we take some of those batches and the barrel aging them ourselves nice but um i think this year we're going to do a little bit more we're going to branch out a little bit more we've got a uh, an export stout in the works we're looking at some more imperial stouts and also a few different other styles maybe a belgian and maybe something a little bit more European, German. I mean, all going to be what you'd expect Holy Goat to be doing in terms of right. like on the stronger side of things. You're not, you're not doing session piles or... Uh, we're not doing oh, no. session piles. <laughs> uh, or pills. We're, we're, we're doing interesting styles. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully we just want to try and nail them. Brilliant. You know, do the beers that are interesting to us and inspire us. Yeah. It should be more about this year. That's what it's all about. Great. Where's the best place for people to get their hands on some Holy Goat beers? <laughs> most reliable places are web shop. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, um, most good bottle shops, if they don't have us, ask for us, and they'll probably have a distributor who can get us in. Yep. Our beers are very, they'll come out once every month and a half. And uh, when they go, they go. And then it's so just. So usually web- releasing three, two, three beers at a time every sort of six yeah. weeks. So yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Um, they're not hanging around that's for sure are they when, once once they're released in my experience it's a... <laughs> yeah especially the uh the heavily fruited ones they fly so yeah yeah what about events 2022 guys have you got any festivals in the calendar yet or tap takeovers or collabs coming up that you want to mention yeah we've got our own event that we're putting on called go to palooza go to palooza wow <laughs> i love it <laughs> so where and yeah. when is that that's going to be in dundee and it's in may we're just getting the details finalised, but it's going to be uh, sort of inspired in some ways by Cantillon Quintessence, if you've oh ever heard of that. But basically, it's like just going to have people come around to the brewery, going to show them round. There's going to be beer tasting and food pairings. Yeah. And 
music and and it's just going to be like quite a nice day to just sort of like hang out and see the place and probably drink a lot in the evening as well but we're we're just finalizing that now so we'll we'll have more details coming out in the next yeah but um doing the brew by numbers fest again this year oh great yes yeah, yeah riverside can, brilliant yeah yeah, yeah. You were there last year, that. Uh, James, yeah. But I, I think that was where i first yeah first yeah absolutely you, yeah i'm really looking forward to that <laughs> Uh, we're doing a, a festival in Budapest. We're doing Budapest Beer Week. Oh, nice. So When's that? Uh, that is in September. Um, okay. It's run by Mad Scientists. So mm. they shout at us and we were like, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. Budapest is a great city as well. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Right about that. The next thing we're doing is Sheffield Beer Week. Right. Which is in March. We'll March, be at yeah. the Rutland Arms. We've got a bit of an event there. Brilliant. So we'll be doing a sort of a meet the brewer type event. Nice. Very good. Then we are into the home straight, gentlemen, and I always start the home straight with asking you to give a shout out to a little guy. And here I ask you to mention one or more local to Dundee, or I'm happy with Scotland as a, as a whole, beer businesses that you think are doing a great job promoting independent craft beer specifically. And that could be another brewery, a bottle shop, a pub, a tap room, or even a restaurant or a cafe, but somebody that is specifically promoting independent craft beer. Well, first one that springs to my mind is a coal shipyard in Glasgow as a small pub that is now owned by Dom. That's a fantastic place. Okay. He's very, very passionate about beer and getting in varied styles from as many kind of small producers as possible. Brilliant. Uh, and he's been very good to us as well. It's been a nice to kind of build a relationship with Dom a bit. Um, okay, nice. I don't know, Johnny, so you've got a few. I imagine Apocalypse yeah. probably a, a big one to mention yeah. in terms of breweries. Yeah. As a brewery, uh, I love Apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, he's great. The beers he's making are super unique and he's a total beer nerd. So we yes. are they're in central Glasgow, are they? Or, um... yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our favourite bar in Dundee where we hang out is probably Dynamo. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the guys who are running that are brilliant. Love going there. Um, our local places, Fraser's Fruit and Veg is a right. good smell of beer. Yeah. I'm trying to find that for some reason, a lot of the best places to buy craft beer up this way, um, they're all typically, it's, some, it's not the main thing they do. It's like a right. fruit and veg shop that has an amazing selection of beer. Mm-hmm. There's a spa that's in a village just outside Dundee with an amazing selection of beer. Okay, nice. <laughs> There's a petrol station in Fife with an amazing selection yep. of beer. It's, it seems to be that's the way of it. It's like a there's a, people, there's a petrol station on the outskirts of Aberdeen as well. That's like yeah, West Hills. Yeah. Beer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we, we oh. send beer there actually. One of our people we send <laughs> it's beer. Nuts, it? Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to be the way. Is um, Places that have, like, say, a kind of more core business, but they, there's someone that works there that has a passion. Yeah, that's just that. got a passion. That's all you need, yeah, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody yeah. needs to open a bottle shop in Dundee. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 a business, it's a business opportunity. You're... Wow. Yeah, a little bit. It feels <laughs> that way. Anyway. That would be cool. But, That'd be uh, nice, yeah. yeah. That's like opening another business. It's Yeah. It's, uh... Moving swiftly on then, gents, to the wrap-up question. And here I'd like to know, and I need an answer from each of you, please. What would be your ultimate happy hour? Where would you be? Who would you be with? And what specific beer would you be drinking? Who'd like to go first? I'll go first. I'll be with, I'm just going to go simple. I'll be down the Phoenix with uh, Scan and the other guy who works in the brewery, Gary. The Phoenix is in Dundee? In Dundee. It's an old school pub. And we'll be drinking a pint of 80 shilling. Okay. Wow. It really is old school, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Similar, but very different. I'd probably be with Johnny and one of my pals I haven't really seen that often due to uh, various pandemic yeah. problems. But I think my the location would probably be in Camden. Like There's a music festival I really like going to called Desert Fest, okay. and it's been postponed a couple of times due to obvious reasons. Yeah. And it's supposed to be happening this year, fingers yeah. crossed. So, um, yeah, I would say at Desert Fest, so probably in the Black Heart or somewhere with Dev, somewhere like that in, in Camden with yeah. Johnny and Mikhail Noddy and okay. the usual people that I see there and kind of having, having fun with that. And the beer would be... Well, you can bring your own beer, so you don't have to drink whatever macro crap. Yeah, maybe, maybe go that. <laughs> <laughs> Off the top of my head, and, and 
it's normal there's a decent selection there's some really good bars in that area okay say. yeah but uh but yeah I, I can't think off the top of my head what the beer would be but the location would probably be that right but, but what would you what would you choose if, the, if you could choose the beer what would it be James? um it depends a little bit i do really like 80 i will say that in terms of just like uh having a beer with pals kind of chilling out kind of thing i really like flanders the same as johnny yeah but uh i like to kind of make a make more time with the flanders a little bit and enjoy it a bit more okay. instead of being down the pub so much i like to kind of <laughs> chill with it a bit yeah and, uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a time and a place thing as well, isn't it? Yeah. All, all beer choices are. You can't, you know, yeah, without, yeah, absolutely. Without, your, without your mates for a 12-hour day, you're not... Yeah, gonna... I will say my uh, my biggest weakness is definitely stouts. I've okay. always been a big stout guy, so right. anything stouty, imperial stouts are yeah. uh, dangerous on a night out. <laughs> but, uh, Adjuncted uh, or, uh, or, or... No, my, my thing... Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> it kind of comes across in what we do as well a little bit. Johnny's yep. the same. Much more traditional, big, roasty... Okay. Russian Imperials, that kind of thing. Anything that's got the bitterness and the, there's a chocolateiness, but it's coming from the, the way from that's the been brewed yeah. as opposed yeah. to uh, adjuncts and that kind of thing for yeah. sure. Yeah, nice. All right. I'll settle for that. Excellent. Gents, it's been lots of fun chatting with you. Thank yeah, you very you much too. for your time. Um, absolutely love your beers. I'm thrilled with what you're doing and I can't wait to see how it develops over the next year or two. Thank In the you. Meantime, thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you. Commencing in the spring of 2022, This Week in Craft Beer will be running meticulously curated long weekend tours to the world's most exciting craft beer cities in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Destinations will include New England, Brooklyn, Miami and Brussels. If you fancy joining a small tour party led by a leading UK craft brewer as we experience a packed long weekend of meet the brewer and tutor tastings at some of the leading craft breweries on the planet, please pay close attention to our newsletter and website 